Psalm 33, verses 1 to 12. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-string lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he chose for his inheritance. Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship, through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. He was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. This is God's word. And we continue then this uh, third week in um, Ephesians chapter 1, this, this one paragraph really, verses 3 to 14, magnificent outpouring of uh, praise. Let me, uh, let me do this in prayer before we look at this together. Our great God and Father, we have sung already numerous times that you are worthy of our praise. And so as we come and study your word again, Please, would you be at work? Would your spirit speak to us, address us with these words of scripture so that uh, we know it mentally, we, we feel it rightly, that you are the God who is worthy of our praise. And Father, we pray that because it's true. 
And we should praise you, and we pray it because we find our meaning, our purpose, our pleasure in the praise of your name. So please be at work, growing that in us. From your word we ask. Amen. So it's really just um, four verses tonight, uh, 11 to 14. And the purpose of these four verses are really simply to say, if you're a Christian, Jesus will take you home to be with him. And you're safe in his hands. That, that's what these four verses say. Okay? If you're a Christian, Jesus will take you home to be with him. You can absolutely bank on that. So put your hope in him. Wonderful. Uh, if you hear last week, we looked at the glorious truth of uh, verses really 9 and 10 in particular. That, uh, And this is the central truth of the letter, that God is bringing all things under Jesus Christ. So uh, uh, verse 9, God, he, God, has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, here it is, to put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth. All things are going to be united in Jesus Christ. And that is the central truth of the letter of Ephesians. God has begun that work in the church, uniting all different nationalities, particularly Jew and Gentile. And he'll explain how that's happened in, verse, in chapters 1 to 3 in particular. And then in chapters 4 to 6, he'll say, and here's what it looks like in practice. Here's how we work it out. That's the main purpose of this letter. You're united. You need to know what God's plan is for the universe. But chapter one is saying, or if you've never realized it, or, or reminding the Christian, and, and wow. Wow. To be a Christian is extraordinary. Because God just loads us up with presence. Can I use that word? Blessings. is a better Bible word. But he loads us up. And so he says to us, look, I, I, I want you to have election. That is, I've chosen you before the creation of the world. Oh, that's a fantastic thing. And I want you to have adoption. That is, you're my child and you're silent. That's a fantastic thing. Uh, and I want you to have forgiveness. Brilliant. And redemption. Oh, I'm struggling. And um, and the forgiveness of sins. Whoa, I'll drop that one. Pick that one. No, it's on my foot. There we go. Got it back again. And I've got all these extraordinary blessings and the revelation of what I'm doing in this world. Uh, and I will speak to you and address you. Extraordinary set of blessings. And here in 11 to 14, He's going to say, and I will keep you. And we're meant to read these and say, chapter 1, verse 3, well, God be praised. You've given me so much, you've done so much, God be praised. Now again, roughly, verses 4 to 6 are sort of past what God's work before the creation of the world, roughly 7 to 10, blessings experienced now, and roughly, chapter verses 11 to 14, assurance of the future. But just blessings that God has poured up, and just forgive me, run with me, bear with me, indulge me in this, but as I've been daydreaming on this over the last week, I've had a, a sort of image in my head, what would it be like if you asked God for an ice cream... What would it look like? And I think it looks like this. He doesn't say, well, I'll give you a ball of ice cream. He says, here are, I think if you count them up and it rotates around, 12 different colors and presumably therefore flavors of ice cream. Now, I know that's a stupid image, but that's the image I've just got, I can't get out of my head and now I'm trying to push it into your head so it irritates you as well. Okay. 
He, I will give you every spiritual blessing. I am not a God who holds back. I am not a God who gives you the minimum. I am not a God who gives you just enough. I give you everything. And in 11 to 14, he says, look, you must know this. I want you to know this. If you're a Christian, I'll take you home. I'll bring you home. You're safe with me. Now, I don't know where you are in your life and whether that thrills you. As I've said to some, uh, three times a week or or roughly so, I'll I'll sit with my mother at the moment who is 75 and terminally ill and in a hospice. And the fact that Jesus will take her home despite the intense pain she is in at the moment, that is everything. Now, most here are a long way from that, or a goodly way from that. But Jesus will take you home. And you need to know that through the good times and the bad times. He'll take you home. You are safe with him. Or to put it another way, if you're arriving in London uh, as a student or work, don't say, don't say, uh, here I am, I'm a Christian, I've been a Christian for quite a while now, I've grown up a Christian, I'm quite well taught as a Christian, I'll be fine. And uh, I haven't found a church yet. I've been in London for three months. But I am fine as a Christian because I, I know that what I believe, I am quite well taught. I'll be fine. Don't say that. Don't say, I'll be fine. Rather, do say, Lord, I trust you. My hope is in you. You will get me home. Not me, not my knowledge, not my, not my parents. You, you will get me home. Because, Lord, I know what I'm like. Uh, Personally, on my own, I am uh, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. So, Lord, look, here's my heart. Will you just seal it? Will you help me? I, I, I trust you to do this work. I trust that you will keep me. Don't say, I'll be fine. Even if you've been here years, don't say, well, I haven't been to church for a month. I haven't been to church for six weeks. It's fine. Don't say that. Do say, Lord, you. I trust you. I'll listen to you. You will do it. He will keep you. Lean on him. You are safe with the Lord. And that is to his praise and glory. So if you've got a sheet, here's how we look at it. Uh, There are two certainties really about the future. So two things, is somewhat of a repetition in the passage, but two certainties highlighted. In him we were claimed, uh, verse 11 in particular, verses 11 and 12, in him you were sealed, verses 13 and 14. And both of those certainties about the future are emphasized that it's to the praise of his glory. So you get that end of verse 12, end of verse 14. Okay, so two certainties, one purpose. The certainties, in him you were claimed, in him we were sealed, to the praise of his glory. Okay? Your future is safe if you're a Christian. First, In him we were claimed. Let's read verse 11 again. In him we were also chosen. I'm sorry, apologies, hate saying it. It's a slightly weak translation. Um, Because here it suggests it's just a repetition, really. Well, we've said that in verse 4, he chose us. Uh, And how come, he chose you. Oh, and he also chose you. Well, that's like a dodgy salesman. I'll give you two years instant free credit. And two years instant free credit. It's, it's It's not that sort of thing. Uh, here, so verse 4, you were chosen. Here the emphasis, verse 11, in him you were chosen as inheritance. So God chose you 
for his inheritance. God has claimed you and said, they're mine, they're mine. And in the future, they'll be with me, is the emphasis here. There's a background, that's why we had read Psalm 33, one of many, many places in the Old Testament. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, whom he has chosen as his inheritance. And it's the same sense here. God has claimed his people for an inheritance for the future. That's a wonderful truth, isn't it? If you're a Christian, that's how God sees you. Uh, I don't have many things that I care particularly about. People, yes, lots of them. But things, you know, stuff, uh, physical objects, uh, not much. The thing that I would say is probably the most precious that I own is a watch. It was uh, when my father died, I inherited it, it uh, from him. It's not in financial terms, worth a huge amount of money. I guess it is a gold watch, but it's not great or anything. Um, the reason I value it is because it was inscribed on the back uh, to John Fuller at the end of uh, 25 years' service to the company, loyal service, dot, 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 that sort of thing. It's not great, but he valued it. It's kind of the only thing that I know my dad cared about. In his will, it was the only item Nothing else was named apart from that. And look, it's not worth a thousand pounds or anything like that. It's just a few hundred quid, probably. But uh, it mattered to him because it's kind of like that's what I did. I I worked faithfully for a company for a number of years. Uh, And therefore, it matters to me because it was his. And I've only worn it once, which was at his funeral. I intend to wear it again at my mother's funeral. And when his grandchildren marry, I think I'll probably wear it then. It's a sentimental thing. But it's probably the only thing I've got of any value. Therefore, and this is a little eccentric, therefore, um, I'm a little paranoid about it being stolen. You can have anything else in my house. If you're listening, uh, you, you can't. It's not, that's a sort of idiom. Uh, I don't mean it for real. Um, it's not an offer or invitation. Um, but that I've actually locked away in a, in a safety deposit box. So you can burgle my house and you won't get the watch. Um, <laughs> And that's a bit odd, because it's not worth a huge amount of money. But to me, it, it's, it's precious. It's my inheritance, and I will do anything to protect it sensibly. Now, that's a watch. And I'm a deeply fallible individual. I can't guarantee it's in, that it's safe. I can try not to ever let it go, but I can't be certain that no one will ever break into the place and wherever it is and, um, uh, and steal it. But when the Lord says, I have chosen you as my inheritance, no one can attack that. No one can take you away. That, that's the point of verse 11. See, the Lord cannot lose his inheritance because look at who he is, verse 11. In him, Christ, we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of, well, who is it? The plan of him, the Lord, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Everything. You know, if you've never come across it in the Bible before, actually, this is a very big verse. God works out 
everything in conformity with his will. In the world, everything, every circumstance, every individual across the planet, every second of each day, every location in the world, he's planned it. And it goes as he wants it to throughout every century. Everything, or to rephrase negatively, there is nothing which takes place across this planet at any moment in any place which does not conform to God's plan or will. That is the degree of his control over this planet, this universe. Everything conforms to his will. Now, you need to slightly distinguish. Sometimes he acts directly. He says, I'm going to create a world. I'm going to do it now. Uh, and he speaks, and it happens directly. He works his will directly. Sometimes, indirectly, he'll work through evil to achieve his purposes. He will permit evil to take place to achieve good. He will permit Judas to betray Jesus so that great good is achieved through the death of the Messiah for sins. So some things he's working directly. Some things... Indirectly, he permits to achieve good. But all things conform with his will. Now, we hear that. There's a difference. There's a difference between what perhaps we ask and why God tells us. We might hear that and think, okay, wow, that's an extraordinary level of control. Why does God allow a typhoon in the Philippines, a hurricane? in the Carolinas and and death. Why does he allow those things if he's got absolute control? Well, that's a big question. I'm not going to answer it tonight. The the very, very simple answer, which which will be frustrating if it's a burning question for you, but the very simple answer is, I don't know. But when we go to be with him in glory, he'll say, do you now understand the good I achieved through permitting evil, suffering, pain, to take place. It wasn't the world was out of control. So we ask why. Well, you'll find out in time. But here, the point is that God tells us this so that we are secure. You are my inheritance, and I can promise you that you will make it to be with me in glory because everything upon this planet is working out just as I plan it. I am in control, there is no threat, there is no challenge, there is no rival, there is no uh, unexpected event, because I plan and everything works out in conformity with my plan. Therefore, when I say I've chosen you and you'll be with me, you're safe. That's why he says it here. Now, there are times when we need this truth. Because I don't know about you, but my, occasionally my confidence is Christianity true? I mean, that, that ebbs and flows a little bit. More often, that's quite rare, more often, is it worth making all the sacrifices that are involved in being a Christian? Is it, is it worth it? 
and sometimes my sort of confidence in those things ebb and flows. My emotional life ebbs and flows. Sometimes I do want to say, Lord, you're wonderful and I want to praise you. And sometimes I want to say, I'm going to watch TV. Uh, and I should not, and I should, do, and I should pray, but I can't be bothered because I'm in a bad mood. You know, my emotional life, it, it, it ebbs and flows. Sometimes I'm delighted to be a Christian. Sometimes I'm just trudging along. But God will hold me. God will keep me. And of course, especially you need to know this when life goes wrong. Because when life goes wrong, Ephesians 1.11 will say, it's not gone wrong. Because God has a plan and it always works. So it appears to us that life has gone wrong. Which means, in a very real sense, it's hard, it's disappointing, it's frustrating, I'm in pain, I hurt, I suffer. Yeah, yeah, all those things. But it's not gone wrong in the hands of a God who is in control of all things. It just hurts. And even in the pain, the frustration, in every situation, God is working out his plan. Now, that is of great comfort and reassurance because Ephesians 1.11 will say, or let me put it this way, if, you're, if you are feeling at the moment frustration, pain, bewilderment, why? This will tell you, look, the, 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 the moment God determined the point at which your pain began and it could not have begun a second earlier or a second later, It had to begin then in conformity with his will. And the Lord controls the duration of your pain, suffering, bewilderment. It cannot have, it cannot last a millisecond longer than he intends it to. And he controls the duration, the intensity of your pain, suffering, bewilderment. And it cannot be a hair's breadth harder or more difficult than he has made it for you. And he knows precisely what you can endure. And he gives you all the grace that you need to keep going. Because he has said, you're my inheritance and I will not let you go. And I'm in charge. So when life goes wrong, it's wonderful to know that it's not out of control even in the pain and the hurt. So we ask, Lord, why have you allowed this? And God says, look, be assured, everything has a purpose. I have claimed you for my inheritance. You're safe. I will bring you home. In him we were claimed. And then secondly, in him you were sealed. Sibla. Uh, in him you were sealed. Now, verses 12 and 13, Paul uh, draws a distinction for the first time in this letter, a distinction between Jews and Gentiles. I think that's the best understanding of what's going on here. So, um, end of verse 11, God works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we, best understood, we Jews, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. Verse 13, and you, best understood, you non-Jews, Gentiles, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of salvation. I think that's the most helpful way or the best way of reading it. 
Now look, let's think about us Gentiles, which is true for most, not all, uh, but most here. What's happened? Well, verse 12, uh, let's pick up, verse 13 rather. Uh, What's happened? You also, Gentiles, I think, you were included in Christ. Remember, we've been saying that that every blessing in the Christian life comes because you're united to Jesus. Here we are, and we we belong to him. We're we're united to him. On our own, we get no spiritual blessings. He has every spiritual blessing. You're connected to him. You get the lot. But you've got to be with him. You don't get any on your own. You don't merit any. You don't deserve any. At the beginning of the summer, I'll run out of stories about the summer and people who are generous to me very soon. But at the beginning of the summer, I went for lunch uh, with a friend at the RAC club, which is very nice, private members club on Pall Mall, don't you know? And uh, it is very nice. So uh, I met him for lunch and uh, you're greeted at the door. And uh, uh, can I take your name? Yeah, I'm here to see uh, Mr. X. Oh, you are most welcome, sir. In you come, sir. Can I take your coat, sir? And um, for the duration of my, my, my visit for a couple of hours, everyone called me sir, which I have to say I found quite enjoyable. And um, feel free. I enjoy that. That's, um, that, that, that works at all levels, probably. I've tried it on my son. That didn't work. Anyone, you know, anyone else is willing, you go for it. But uh, for two hours, you get called sir. And of course, because I am with him, get a very nice meal. And uh, despite the fact that indigestion was bound to follow, he showed me downstairs and they have this beautiful marble, have people been there? Beautiful marble swimming pool. And so despite the fact that I just had a very big meal, I went in, uh, made myself feel sick uh, and it ruined my dinner. But you do because you can. Um, and you sort of wallow around, around. I couldn't swim, that was a bit, uh, but you wallow around in this marble ball and think, I'm a Roman emperor, I'm swimming in marble. And uh, you do all these things and you get all these wonders, it was a delightful couple of hours because of him. I was called sir, I was fed a three-course meal and had a lovely meal and uh, wallowed around in, in the marble with him. And uh, to myself, this is fantastic. And I just, out of intrigue, you know, the following day, popped back and said, oh, can I come in? Are you a member? No, no. On my own, nothing. With him, lovely benefits. An individual, before the Lord, you get nothing. Because you don't deserve anything. You belong to Jesus Christ. You say, yeah, I I don't deserve anything from the Lord. Uh, Nothing really, but his rejection for how I've treated him. But but I belong to Jesus. I trust that Jesus is is God incarnate. He's lived a perfect life and he died for my sins and I'm given all that he deserves. As we've sung already, he's taken the curse. I get the blessings he deserves. Fantastic, I belong to him. Well, you get everything. That's what happened. You were included in Christ. Uh, How did it happen? Uh, Still in verse 13, you were included in Christ. How did it happen? When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, two synonymous terms there. When you accept the gospel message, Christ died, take your curse, you receive his blessings. When you accept that message, you're included in him. And then what do you receive? Verse 13, when you believed, simultaneous, no delay, when you believed, You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. At the moment you become a believer, God comes and lives in every believer by his spirit. You don't feel anything. It's not like a pregnancy. Oh, I felt the spirit kick. It's not that. It is the promise of the Lord that he comes and dwells within you. 
And he does wonderful, many things that the Spirit achieves in the life of a believer. But here the emphasis is upon assurance. Do you see these two metaphors that are given? You are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, a seal. That's a sort of legal thing. In the sense of, um, in some parts of the world, you own your cattle, and uh, you seal them. You get your branding iron and... Uh, um, you seal, you put your mark, whatever it is, your, your ranch's mark on the cattle. You've sealed them. You've put something on them. They belong to me. It's a sort of legal or, or commercial marking. And, and here, yeah, the, the Spirit is God saying, mine. A little legal factor upon them. A seal, but also a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. It's a very sweet word, sweet, do I mean that? Uh, yeah, that's fine. It's a very lovely word that Paul uses for um, deposit. It's still used in modern Greek, actually. And it translates in modern Greek as engagement ring. It's a fascinating metaphor that Paul uses. That God gives you his spirit as an engagement ring. And what, is, what does that mean? Well... Something changes when you get an engagement ring. Your relationship is, is serious now. There is a commitment now. You start doing things together now that you didn't. You buy stuff together. You, you plan things together. You, you buy houses. Do you? Not in London. Um, you sort of plan where you're going to live together. You choose your accommodation together. You, you, all sorts of things are different and new. Your, your lives meld at the point of engagement. But it's not marriage. You're still looking forward to that day. So things change. There's, there's a whole new level of relationship. And, but there's a promise that the fulfillment is yet to come on your wedding day. And Paul says, well, you know, the Spirit's a bit like that. He's both a promise. God puts his Spirit, places his Spirit within you as a promise. But also, it is experience in part. You do now already say, instead of there's a God out there, you say there is a Lord who is my Father. There is a Father who loves me. There is a father who speaks to me and I understand what he says and I know how to re- respond to him. There's a father I can speak to and pray to and I know that he hears me. So, so the relationship is different. It's real. There, there is a, an experience of the Lord already, but it's not marriage. It's not being in heaven with him face to face. I mean, compared to that, what we have now is it's wonderful, but it's very, very, very limited compared to that. And that is how Paul uses this metaphor here. God's spirit is not simply a promise. He's a foretaste of being with the Lord in glory. And we will get there, verse 14. The spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Yet one day the redemption will be complete. This is not redemption as in verse uh, 7. Redemption through the blood of Jesus. This is the climax, the consummation of that in verse 14, the fulfillment of that work. And so we have this paragraph, extraordinary truth, 
from the beginning, verse 3, God chose every believer, everyone who become a Christian, he chose, verse 4, before the creation of the world. And 11 to 14, all his power, all his sovereignty will ensure that you get there and that you will be with him in glory in the new creation. What an extraordinary arc that is. And here we are in the middle, living our lives. It's all a bit rocky and, you know, and we're wondering what's going on. And he says, no, I chose you here. Or other way around for you. I chose you here. I will get you home. And when you get there, you'll be thrilled. And the living God will say to you, you're very welcome. Before the creation of the world, I chose you to be with me. I sent my son to, to die for you. I have guaranteed, protected you, planned every day of your life so you'll be here. I've waited eternity. It's very good to see you. In him we were claimed. In him you were sealed. And it is to the praise of his glory. Last little thing. So there it is. He said uh, numerous times in this passage, verse 6, we're told that uh, 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 election and adoption are to the praise of God's glorious grace. And then twice in this little paragraph, at the end of verse, at the end of the two little points I've given you, so verse 12, this might be to the praise of his glory. Verse 14, God will keep us until, and we'll be redeemed, and that will be to the praise of his glory. So God has poured out all these blessings upon us so that we say, Lord, you are so good. You are so good. I see you. I see what you've given me and you are worthy to be praised. Blessed be your name. That is how it's meant to be. Now at that point, there is always someone who says, well, that's a bit um, self-absorbed of your God, isn't it? that he's created all this world and created a people so that they say, well done, God. I mean, it's a bit egocentric. It's a bit me, me, me. He creates all these minions in order to praise him. That, that's selfish or self-absorbed, isn't it? Is the comment that sometimes gets made. No. No, the, the Lord is a God who, who makes this world and makes his people for our pleasure and his. For our pleasure and his praise, both. He is a God who gives so that we enjoy and he is praised. Let me try and put it this way. Uh, one or two will observe or, or, or have, have spotted in the last week or so uh, a little bit about cricket and um, uh, we'll get there in a moment. So there he is. Uh, some will know, over the summer, England have had two opening batsmen in the Chris, uh, cricket test. If, you, if you're not a Brit or, or you don't understand cricket, just run with it, all right? The, um, uh, England have had two opening batsmen in their cricket team, Keaton Jennings and Alistair Cook. They're a little bit different. So poor Keaton Jennings has not done very well. He's had a very bad summer. Uh, he's quite new to the scene. He may not play for England again. Poor Keaton. Alistair Cook is the best batsman England has ever had and the fifth best batsman in the world of all time. Now, 
in his, you all know this, in his final test, it was dreamland, just extraordinary. In his final test ever for England, he, you know, he plays in a Knox Centre. Extraordinary, extraordinary thing. Now, did you observe, some of you would have done, even, on the, even if you hate cricket, it was on the news, you couldn't avoid it. It was wall-to-wall on the front page of every newspaper. Did you observe, when Alistair Cook got a century, he was given a standing ovation. In fact, numerous times in the final test, he was given a standing ovation. In fact, every time he entered the field, every time he exited the field, he was given a standing ovation. The people couldn't get enough of him. Now, why was that? Why did Keaton Jennings get no applause? Well, he didn't do much. He wasn't worthy of it. Why did Alistair Cook get lots of ovation and applause? Well, two reasons. One, he was worthy of it. He'd earned it. There is none like him. He is the greatest ever English batsman in terms of runs scored. So he's worthy, but also, it's not only just that he's worthy and therefore appropriate that he gets praised. Also, the crowd really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed. That's why every time he came on the field, every time he exited the field, and uh, that's why you know numerous people in the crowd were dressed up as chefs because that's his nickname. Because that's how clever cricketers are. His name's Cook. We call him Chef. Ka-ching. Um, uh, brilliant. So lots of people are dressed up, you know, in chefs and getting very excited. And I observed some of the banners in the crowd. I mean, this is just representative. Thanks for the runs, Cookie. So it was one sign. Thanks for the memory, Chef, was another sign. My favourite. You can this is genuinely. I saw this on the highlights program. Big sign up, dear Mr. Cook. Thank you very much for the fine entertainment over the last twelve years. I mean, that is not a football fan, is it? That's not a succinct, you know, no one's worked out a charm that goes along with that. Dear Mr. Cook, dear Mr. Cook, thank you very much for the fine entertainment over the last 12 years. Now, why? Why? Why the crowd applauding him? Not just say, well, oh, Cook's off, is he? Well, we suppose, you know, he's done quite well for England. Come on, let's get on with it. Let's, you know, let's have another wicket. Come on. It's not begrudging. It's not just obligatory. It's because there is pleasure. Because Alistair Cook has given these people pleasure. And they find further delight and pleasure in praising him. So they're saying, Cookie, you've given us so much fun over the last years. We, we praise you for... The unbeaten double century in 2010 at the Gabatoire, which completely turned that match around. And then you went on to 770 runs in that, in that series and destroyed the Aussies in their homeland. And some enjoyed that. <laughs> and Cookie, thank you for that 294 against India in Edgbaston when, then, when England racked up 700-odd and then declared. Uh, we, you remember those heady days? Cookie, thank you for the memories. They brought us such pleasure. And even now, no one was saying, as Alistair Cook raised his bat, oh, it's just me, me, me with Cook. Oh, the ego of that man raising his bat. No, he sort of raised his bat and wanted to get off the field and everyone wanted him there for longer. Stay, Alistair Cook. Stay on the field so we can applaud for longer because we're gaining enormous pleasure from praising you because you're worthy. 
Do you see that? Not just because they're obliged, because he's the best, but because there's enormous pleasure in enjoying what he's done and who he is. And so here, three times in Ephesians 1, God has given all these blessings for the praise of his glory. And Paul says, so praise him. Not because you're obliged to do so. God has chosen me, that's good. And, you know, God has died for me and I should say thank you and he'll keep me till the end. And therefore, I suppose, how long, how long is this going to go on for? Um, no, not that. But rather, in the praise of all he's given you and all he is, there is pleasure. That is what we're made to do. To find our delight, to find our purpose in praising the one who has given us so many good things. So these four verses at the end of the chapter, you're safe. So we praise the Lord and say, I'm safe with you, Lord. I'll trust you, Lord. I'm not going to trust myself because I know my emotions ebb and flow. And, you know, depending on what day of the week it is, I feel like a keen Christian. I feel like a fallible Christian. I feel like a weak Christian. I'm not going to, I'm not going to even look at that. I'm trusting you, Lord. You've said you'll keep me. You've said that I am your inheritance. And no one breaks your plans. And therefore we praise him. If you're a Christian, Jesus will take you home. You're safe with him. Praise him for that alone. But Ephesians 1 will say, take all these blessings and say, Lord, you've given us so much. Thank you for all you've given us. And I delight to praise you. I am at my best when I praise you. I am satisfied. I am enjoying myself when I praise you. Yeah, of course. Because we're made for the praise of his glory. That's why we're here. Praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Praise him. He'll keep you safe. But do much more than that. Praise him. Let's pray together. Our great God and Father, we thank and praise you for all you have given us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that our blessings are secure because they're in him. They're not won by us, therefore they can't be lost by us. They're won by the one who is sat at your right hand in heaven and can never be lost by him. We thank and praise you that you have chosen us as your inheritance. You will take us home. No one can thwart your plan. No idea, no threats will come to derail your thoughts, your plans, your will. You will bring us home. Would we trust you? And in the trusting, would there be joy in praising you? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.